0: Hey, did you know it's almost time for Wartstock? Join us at Warner Park on Sunday, May 21st from 11 to 7. We'll have a wide variety of live music with headliner Ugochi. We'll also have food and craft vendors, an arts activity area, and plenty of space in beautiful Warner Park. Find out more at wortfm.org. I'll see you there. There's pie. Power in the hand of the worker. nothing don't power the lessons the past
1: Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Rebecca meyer Rao of Worker Justice Wisconsin. Thank you to all our listeners. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible.
0: Hi, I'm Frank Emsbach, a producer of Madison Labor Radio. Today, we get an update on what's next for the workers of CUNA Mutual, take a look at Workers' Memorial Day, Check in on negotiations at Meritor, look ahead to Mayday, share info on the Faith and Labor Breakfast, and much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio.
2: And Labor Radio.
1: Labor Radio spoke to the president of Madison Teachers Incorporated, Michael Jones, about the proposed budget for the Madison School District, which includes cuts to 155 staff positions.
3: What's going on right now with MTI and the decisions on the part of the school board?
2: The initial budget proposal came out just on Monday. It involves quite a bit of cuts. It's a budget that is unnecessarily painful and harmful to not just us as educators, but especially to our students. When you cut like that, when you consolidate classes and you really don't need to, you're setting the schools up for headaches and heartaches going into next school year when we really don't need to.
3: Why are they cutting so many positions?
2: Enrollment has gone down, but all the cuts that they're proposing actually far exceed enrollment. And it's also based off of how the state funds districts, and it's been extremely out of whack, especially the last two years. A lot of these cuts are happening at the school level with very little impacting district administration.
3: What solutions are there?
2: One is to produce a budget that meets the rate of inflation, the 8% cost of living adjustment, and to pay people fairly. We're going to see more people exiting the district when they really don't want to, but they need to provide for themselves and their loved ones. What we're also saying is don't give in to the cynical belief that no more money is coming through.
3: How does the state budget relate to this budget?
2: Because of the biennial cycle, the districts really can't make too many choices on what they can or cannot fund until they know exactly how much money they're getting from the state. You can predict how much money you get from local property taxes. You can predict a certain amount from like federal funding for certain programs, but you can't predict the state until the state tells you how much they're going to give you for per people's spending. Right now, the district's in a holding pattern, but they're making premature choices to be super conservative while we're in this holding pattern. But they're also sending a communication that the ink is already dry on the budget when we know it isn't. What can listeners do? At a local level, what we're asking people in the community to do is reach out to the Board of Education, reach out to the superintendent, and say we demand a budget that has full cost of living adjustment. Also, what we're asking for people to do is really advocate at the state level. We're going to have an event on May 20th with us and other entities, unions, public school advocates, administrators, board members, people from all over the state.
3: The event will be on Saturday, May 20th, on the state street side of the Capitol to advocate for funding for public education in Wisconsin. That was Michael Jones of MTI. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio. Is a strike in CUNA Mutual Group's future?
1: Frank Emsbach has the story.
0: Workers from Local 39 of the Office and Professional Employees International Union, or OPEIU, announced their historic strike authorization vote Monday to a crowd that filled the Madison Labor Temple. Local 39 reported that 92% of the workers voted strike authorization. The authorization vote itself was remarkable. Never before in the locals' history had members authorized a strike. Labor Radio spoke with Will Roberts, a multimedia specialist at the CUNY Mutual Group and a member of OPIU Local 39. We asked Will to explain exactly what the workers authorized.
4: The workers represented by OPEIU Local 39 and have authorized an unfair labor practice strike. This means that we have decided going on an unfair labor practice strike due to the company not bargaining in good faith with us, unfairly and illegally retaliating against our union leadership. Well, what are those next steps? If the company isn't going to return to the bargaining table and bargain with us in good faith and give us the contract that we deserve, then we are prepared, overwhelmingly so, to go out on an unfair labor practice strike. We will be withholding our labor, as is our legal right to do, in order to secure a fair contract for ourselves and our families.
0: Is the purpose of the strike to get the company back to the table?
4: The purpose of this strike, ultimately, is to secure a fair contract. Right now, the company isn't bargaining in good faith they've effectively refused to meet with us since the beginning of the year by insisting on an unfair and one-sidedly onerous bargaining format that is uh, unfair to the union and so part of reaching a fair contract is for us to be able to meet and talk at the table uh, unfortunately that's not what's going on and so that's why we've taken the step to authorize a strike and we're telling the company Hey, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. And if management is interested in some unsolicited strategic advice, I'd recommend doing it the easy way. Come back to the bargaining table now. Bargain with us in good faith, because as time goes on, we just get stronger.
0: When will a decision be made to take
4: action? We have... A window of 30 days from the date of our strike vote, um, which was on the 19th of April. So we can go out on strike within 30 days of April 19th. So up until May 19th, we are able to go out on strike. That's what we've authorized with our vote.
0: What is the timeline?
4: So so, so they've got 30 days from April 19th to come back to the bargaining table. We could call a strike at any time in that in that window. We're hoping that the company returns to the bargaining table in that window. Uh, but if they don't, by the end of that time, we've authorized a strike. What is the mood of the workers? We are fired up. As time has, as, as this uh, contract negotiation has dragged on for from my perspective, I've just seen membership getting more and more fired up. We've dug in where our resolve has been steeled. And uh, it's really something remarkable.
0: Will Roberts concluded with these remarks.
4: It's interesting to me that the company seems to be so willing to gamble with its reputation at this time. CUNA Mutual Group is planning to rebrand itself and reintroduce itself as True Stage in the next month. To me, that doesn't really set the right tone when you're trying to do that. make everyone wonder if True Stage really can be trusted.
0: That was Will Roberts of OPIU and a worker at CUNA Mutual Group commenting on the union's recent strike authorization vote. I am Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. Today is Workers Memorial Day, and organized labor has gathered to remember those who died on the job and to fight to stop workers from dying on the job in the future. Greg Kaboski reports. Brian Cottney, Gary Guza, Gary Sandborn, Sabaska Grant.
5: Today, April 28th, is Workers Memorial Day, a day of remembrance that, since its founding by the FLCIO cio in 1970, has commemorated workers killed and injured on the job. Workers and community supporters gathered today at the Labor Temple on Park Street for the annual reading of names of workers killed in Wisconsin. The over 100 names compiled by Kevin Gunlock, president of the South Central Federation of Labor, or SCUFL, included names available through the Federal Occupational Health and Safety Administration, or OSHA, and also unknown workers, and even children, such as the four children, unnamed today, who were killed in Wisconsin agricultural accidents this year. Jeff Greenwood, Area Director of OSHA, spoke at the event today.
0: Many of these tragic losses are preventable, of course. If safety standards have been followed, maybe proper controls were in place, or if better safety health programs
4: had been made a priority prior to that accident occurring.
5: Greenwood noted that in 2021, workplace casualties jumped to a high not seen since 2016. And although the list of names included workers who died in such traditionally dangerous jobs as construction and agriculture, a major theme of today's event was the importance of organizing to push back and employers' continuing efforts to cut costs in all jobs, making even so-called safe jobs increasingly dangerous. Cammy Burns, a nurse described a patient crisis in an understaffed emergency situation that led to the responding nurse needing unavailable care.
6: And when the floor nurse activated the emergency system calling for help, the help had to first secure someone to care for their patients in the ER, and then the ER staff responded to the code. By the time they got there, the nurse who called them was on the floor herself having a heart attack after performing all roles of a response team by herself for far too long the patient in need was no longer receiving any emergency care and other patients walked into the emergency room to find no staff available to attend to them this isn't a single event this is what will happen when emergency response resources are cut it's a known risk that directly leads to irreversible harm to every person involved
5: Worker safety concerns now include increasing threats of violence. Mike Jones, president of Madison Teachers Incorporated, talked about a new trend in teacher union contracts.
2: In the last year, they've begun adding provisions to teachers' contracts in other parts of the country, saying that the district cannot be held liable if an educator worker is shot in the school because being shot in the school now is considered a reasonable liability because of all the school shootings happening Uh, across the country that's not true here in madison but i'm saying that's that's something that we are beginning to see in other people's contracts that is an indicator as well as the indicator that we are losing more and more workers every year due to unsafe conditions because of the demands of capitalism that tells us that we have a sickness
5: other speakers expanded the idea of improving worker safety and questioning a system that increasingly endangers workers for profit kevin gunlock of scuffle read a letter from SMART, the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers Union, in solidarity with workers in California employed by Kingspan, a global manufacturing giant that is not only trying to bust unions here, but whose products have been implicated in the 2017 Grenfell Towers high-rise fire in West London, in England, that left 72 working-class residents dead. Joe Vica, a chief steward of OPEIU Local 39, representing CUNA Mutual Group, who was recently fired by CUNA in a case that has opened an unfair labor practice complaint, noted how the leading cause of worker deaths, the daily commute to work, can be cut by expanding remote work where it is feasible, an idea getting pushed back rather than expanded by employers. Daniela, the construction worker organizer at Worker Justice Wisconsin, told of an undocumented worker exploited by a convoluted but very common misclassification scheme in the construction industry that left the injured worker not only without medical care, but soon without a home. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski.
0: This Thursday, the Construction Business Group and the Wisconsin Trades Council commemorated Workers Memorial Day, honoring construction workers who had recently died on the job. Carol Weidel has this story. The Construction
7: Business Group and the Wisconsin Building Trades Council held a construction workers memorial service Thursday in Madison. Four construction workers died this past year due to work related injuries. The event honored those who died with a hard hat processional from the Nona Tourist to St. Patrick's Church for a memorial service. Rob Call, Executive Director of the Construction Business Group, described how the loss of the prevailing wage law made construction work riskier in Wisconsin. Since Wisconsin became a right-to-work state, where certainly the prevailing wage is not the standard on public construction do you see any change in the type of workers you're getting do you, are there a lot of out of state lower paid workers who come into the state to do construction
8: yeah we it's it's a great observation a great question we we saw a huge influx um some industries more than others uh, the vertical industry buildings more than maybe roads uh and bridges But um, even to this day, the impacts of of those uh, actions by our legislature and and governor at the time are um, permeating through our industry because if you look at some of the work being done out there, fiber optic, broadband, solar, et cetera, uh, oftentimes a transient workforce that's come from um, out-of-state, oftentimes southern states, and when we go and talk to these individual workers on job sites, we often find that they um, are being paid cash or being paid in gift cards. So these contractors aren't paying taxes either. You know they have no work comp coverage. Um, they're not paying taxes. It's about a thirty percent savings when you take in all the things they're cutting, uh, the corners they cut, and the, the laws they break. And so in addition to putting these workers at risk, yeah, they're not. They're, they don't pay their their taxes. Uh, and again, the Wisconsin contractor trying to bid on that work does pay their taxes and properly insures their employees, et cetera, and we're losing out on that work. So the spigot was opened wide when we lost state prevailing wage in particular because there was a standard then for wage and benefits, um, a requirement that uh, you you report on those wages with your payroll reporting, et cetera. So the bad actors didn't come into Wisconsin because they didn't want to have to be subject to those requirements.
7: Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel.
1: Meritor nurses continue their negotiations. They've set aside their demands for improved nurse-patient ratios and are focused on cost of living wage increases, differential compensation, and other wage benefits to attract and retain
3: nurses. Meritor nurse and bargaining negotiator Rhiannon Gatton had this to say about the sticking points in the negotiations.
2: Absolutely. The biggest thing needed across the board that keeps up with the rates of inflation, the differential increases to keep attract and reward people for taking these off shifts and retention bonus is a really big thing that we're talking about right now to reward us for our loyalty and how hard we work. We are also talking about something called the critical shift incentive. When all of these fail-safes do not work, the critical shift incentive simply guarantees you time and a half when you come in on your day off to provide patient quality, safe care so that the nurses are not working short. They seem resistant to all of these concepts.
3: That was Rhiannon Gatton. This is Labor Radio reporter Janine Ramsey.
6: People moving out,
7: people moving in, why? Because of the color of the skin. Run, run,
0: run, but you sure can't me. hide. Monday is International Workers' Day, and immigrant workers and their supporters will take to the streets in Milwaukee. Greg Gaboski has more.
5: This Monday, May 1st, International Workers' Day, is a day without immigrants. Immigrant workers and supporters will march in Milwaukee demanding changes in state and local law, including the issuance of driver's licenses to undocumented residents. Labor Radio spoke last week to Stephanie Janet salgato Altamirano, the Madison organizer for the Milwaukee-based immigrants' rights group Voces de la Frontera. Salgado described the day without immigrants.
9: Day Without Immigrants, Day Without Latinx or Latinos, how people have called it before, started off years and years ago. And it was due to much power that the immigrant labor and also Latino workforce holds. And we wanted to make an impact in the economy to highlight many of the problems and struggles that our communities face.
5: Immigrant workers, students, and their supporters throughout the state and the country will take off work on May 1st. And Voces de la Frontera lists over 125 Wisconsin businesses that have announced that they will close on Monday. Solgado says the demand on Monday will be that Wisconsin issue driver's license for undocumented residents.
9: Driver's license in the state of Wisconsin for undocumented people and for everyone was something that everyone could obtain. And for the people who were not documented, they had driver's license that said not eligible to vote. And then that was revoked with the Real ID Act to make more papers necessary to apply for a driver's license.
5: Workers without licenses can't get auto insurance affecting not only them, but all drivers, Salgado explained. She described what unlicensed workers face.
9: But also the fear of every day just trying to go to work, trying to do your job well, and not getting, for instance, stopped by the police, and you're trying to do everything that you can within your power. To be a good driver, but you know for sure that if, for instance, you were stopped, you can get $200 in a fine, and then if you get stopped up to like three times, that could be taking you to prison.
5: So gotta outlined three other demands of the day without immigrants.
9: Another law that we're trying to revoke is 287G, and that allows certain prisons to collaborate with ICE. One of our demands in-state tuition equity, Underdocumented, undocumented, or DACA recipient students to be able to afford college and not pay ridiculous amounts to just have accessible education. In addition, we're also fighting for the campaign done by also the Youth Arm and Milwaukee School Lunch Justice, where they're fighting for more nutritious, various options for vegetarians and also students who prefer or need The option for halal food for other religions, backgrounds.
5: There will be a student-led march in Madison on Tuesday, Salgado said.
9: A May 2nd student-led Day Without Immigrants march will start at East High School here in Madison at 9 a.m. By 10 a.m. start to march all the way to the Capitol. We're going to enter into the rotunda where we're going to have a press conference where Students themselves can speak for their experience as living as the youth, as the future of this nation, as the future voters of this nation, explaining what it's like to them to be under all these laws and what it means for them day without immigrants.
5: That was Stephanie Salgado, Voces de la Frontera. The march will start at 10 a.m. this Monday, May 1st, in Milwaukee at 1027 South 5th Street. Rally later to the Milwaukee Department of Motor Vehicles and end at Milwaukee's Zeidler Park. The Madison Student Organized March is the next day, Tuesday, May 2nd, with an estimated start time at 10 a.m. starting at East High School. For more info, see the Voces de la Frontera website at vdlf.org or follow the link on the website to the South Central Federation of Labor at scfl.org. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski.
1: Looking to join the campaign that has unionized hundreds of stores and thousands of workers across the country, baristas at the Starbucks located at the corner of State and Lake Street are seeking their own union election. Labor Radio has more on the story.
6: The Capitol Times calls the State Street Starbucks Cafe the company's flagship location in South Central Wisconsin. And with over 50 full-time employees, it could soon be the company's largest unionized store in the state. Labor Radio's Greg Jaboski spoke with Matt Cartwright, a shift supervisor at the State Street location, to discuss the nascent union campaign and how it evolved in the lead up to petitioning the National Labor Relations Board for an election last Tuesday.
10: So it probably started... It was in a couple weeks ago now, two or three weeks ago now. And it started in reaction to some behavior from upper management decisions that were made that we felt very strongly were unfair and that we felt very strongly weren't ethical. We felt like we were being targeted and we felt like unionization was frankly the only way for us to really keep our jobs. However, once we began the process of unionization and we started talking about it more The mindset mindset kind of shifted more into thinking about unionization as a principle, you know, definitely trying to support our fellow partners across the United States who are unionizing and who are being punished for it, you know, who are facing retaliation for it. That has become a major theme, I think.
6: This is the second store in Madison, third in Dane County, and seventh in Wisconsin to seek unionization with the help of Starbucks Workers United. Cartwright says that he and his coworkers were fortunate to be able to draw on the wealth of knowledge offered by the already unionized Capitol Square location, which voted to join with Starbucks Workers United last June.
10: As soon as we figured out, you know, we needed to act, we contacted some of the leaders down at Capitol Square, that is the uh, main street Starbucks right by the Capitol. And they've been unbelievably helpful and supportive for us throughout the entire process, guiding us, reinforcing us and providing a really a really good example of what I think all stores could be. They put us in contact with Starbucks Workers United, who we've been working with
6: since. Cartwright noted the speed with which worker organizers were able to gather support in the form of signed union cards, a process which can sometimes take weeks or months of concerted mobilization.
10: The stage for Starbucks Union I is you have to get a lot of signatures for cards, for union cards, uh, we had over 70% of the store sign in under a week. And it was a store with 53 partners. That was quite a feat, I think. That's quite an achievement.
6: Once sufficient support was gathered, Cartwright and his co-workers sent a letter to Starbucks CEO Laxman Narasimhan asking for voluntary recognition of the union.
10: So then we we sent a letter, which we did. Uh, we went to the CEO and to Starbucks corporate saying the majority of the store supports forming a union. We ask that you recognize our union. We received an email in response just a couple days ago with a quote, we respectfully decline to recognize your union, um, which is what will trigger the election with the NLRB.
6: In many respects, Cartwright says, the union has only continued to grow since the NLRB petition.
10: Since we actually sent the letter, we've actually only grown in signatures. Since then, it's become, I think, something much more deeper for people. It's become a matter of principle, a push for democracy, a push for workers, right? So I think the mood has actually only grown. People have become more supportive and more involved and more committed. And I really do hope that will only grow as time goes by. We do have a committee that we initially formed that was the first group initially, which is three of us that formed to talk about this. So far, that itself has even grown to several more members as
6: well. While there are still details to be hammered out between the union, company, and NLRB, Cartwright expects that an election will take place within the next couple of months.
10: Um, But this is going to take a period of negotiation, but these things usually take about five to eight weeks. So we're looking at earliest, probably, you know, mid-May, latest, mid june
6: You have been listening to the voice of Matt Cartwright, a Starbucks barista working to mobilize his workplace on State Street. Special thanks to Greg Jaboski for providing audio used in this report. For Madison Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup.
0: The Faith Labor Breakfast will be Thursday, May fourth. Carol Weidel has the story.
11: The Faith Labor Breakfast is a time for workers, the the workers that we are uh, working with every day, uh, and as well as their allies in the unions, in the faith communities, and just in also community organizations, to come together and celebrate what work, courageous workers are doing right now to not only advance their own uh, well-being, but really to strengthen working class people here in Madison and Dane County. It's a time to hear from workers themselves. So the speakers are workers who have come to this center, who are organizing, who are forming cooperatives, and to hear about what brought them here and, and why they're doing what they're doing. It's also, as I said, an opportunity for us to recognize our wonderful partners among the unions, among the faith communities, among community organizations and people. And a time to just celebrate the strength that workers are building together. The breakfast will take place on May 4th, 8 to 10 a.m. at Christ Presbyterian Church, uh, which is on Gorn Street in Madison. And to buy a ticket, you just go to our website, and you'll see the the button will be right there. Just click on that button, and you can purchase your ticket. Yeah, the website is workerjustice.org.
1: Saturday, May 13th, the National Association of Letter Carriers sponsor the Stamp Out Hunger Food Drive. This food drive has a single mission, to feed the hungry in America. Your letter carrier will collect non-perishable food on Saturday, May 13th. We will have more information about this next week.
0: Labor Radio co-founder, union organizer, and longtime Madison activist Ellen Luzerne passed away on Friday, April 14th. A memorial celebration of her life will take place on Saturday, May 6th at Rennebaum Park in Madison from noon to 3 p.m., Please bring food to share, beverage for yourself, no glass, please, a folding chair if you want a comfortable seat, and your favorite memories of this remarkable woman.
1: Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Rebecca meyer Rao. Thanks to editor Frank Emsbach, assistant Robin G., reporters Mike Bernhardt, Greg Jabosky, Sean Hagerup, Anna Ham, uh, Janine Ramsey, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, web poster Anu Lee, and to all our readers and the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective.
0: And I'm Frank Emspach. We'd also like to thank all of our generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the professor, Bill Clark. I'm mm-hmm.